All right, welcome to week number two of studying this particular mimer. Somebody in YouTube comments asked, what's a mimer? I thought I said that at the beginning of the first mimer we learned, but I don't think I said it on this one, so I'll say it again. It's a Hebrew word. It means a discourse, a specific type of a discourse that was delivered by a Rebbe. And uh, this particular discourse was delivered by the Lubavitcher Rebbe in 5738. That's... Uh, the winter of 1977-78. And the name of the mimer is Taner It's a long name. Taner Mitzvahs Ner Hanukkah. And the name of the mimer is the first line of the mimer, which is a quote from the Talmud discussing the practical observance of Hanukkah. Ner Hanukkah means the Hanukkah lamp, which we... Uh, all know as the menorah, and it's asking, how do you do it? Do you light one more every night, one less every night? You know, the famous Machlekes Beshameh Beisilo. That's how we started the Mimer. And we said, well, Beshameh says you do one less light every night. Eight lights the first night, seven the second, six the third, and so on and so forth, until you only have one light left the last night. We said, why would you do that? We said, well, because it's like on Sukkot, they would sacrifice one less bull every day, and uh, there's a connection between Hanukkah and Sukkot. Why is there a connection between Hanukkah and Sukkot? Well, they're both eight days. Well, why are they both eight days? And then we started talking about the number eight. Remember the significance of the number eight? So we said seven is the number of the natural cycle. The world was created in seven days. Six days of work, the seventh day of rest, and then start all over again. Lather, rinse, repeat, because that's how nature works. Nature is the cycle of seven. Seven colors in the rainbow, seven notes on the, on the scale. Seven is just the pattern of nature. Eight is, eight is one more. Eight is beyond. Eight is supernatural. Right. So we started to speak about last week the idea of the supernatural light, which not only is able to overcome the darkness, but transform it, to turn darkness into light. And uh, that brings us to where we are now. What chapter are we on? Four. Four. Very good. Okay. So we learned the first three chapters of the Mimer last week. If you didn't see it, I highly recommend go back and watch it because it, uh, it'll be helpful to have that background. Okay. So let's start from chapter four. And uh, those who are part of the actual class here have access to a PDF, Sichus in English PDF. Yeah? Okay. Good. Great. Ve'yuvanza alpia yedua, and the above, everything we've been speaking about. Specifically, let me just recap the last point that was made in the mimer, that the Hellenizers. I told you I'm going to translate Yavonim instead of Greeks because they weren't necessarily even ethnically Greek, but they were culturally Hellenists, and not just Hellenists. They were Hellenizers. They wanted to make everybody else Hellenist. Um, the fact that the Greeks wanted to, I just said I'm not going to do that. The Hellenizers were going, they wanted to make us specifically forget or abandon the divinity of the mitzvahs. You can observe the mitzvahs as a cultural thing, they said. Just don't attribute any divinity to it. So that idea of a Yuvan Zed, this will be understood Alpiha Yedua, according to that which is known, another concept that is known. Shegam ha mitzvahs 
der Eidos und Mishpatim zorch lakayam beiker mipnei shehem rotzen Hashem kemei hachokim. We spoke about last week, there are three categories of mitzvahs. Chukim are supra-rational decrees. They do not make sense. They are, they conform to a divine logic. Don't mix wool and linen. Well, why not? Who's going to get hurt by that? God doesn't like it. Okay, fine, no problem. All right, that's a chayk, a supra-rational decree. Then we said there are mitzvahs called edois, which make sense after the fact. I wouldn't have thought of it on my own. But after you say it, oh, okay, fine, I get it. Like, I don't know, uh, sit in a sukkah for the days of sukkahs. Okay, I wouldn't have thought, it on, uh, thought of it on my own, but after you explain it, fine, no problem. Then mishpatim, mishpatim are laws that are so in line with human intellect that even if we hadn't been commanded, we probably would have come up with at least, if, if not these very same laws, but laws that, fill, that fulfill a similar purpose. Like, if you damage somebody's property, you got to pay for it. You know, stuff like that. And every society has laws like that. Those are called mishpatim. <coughs> so there's a known concept that even the laws that are mishpatim and edois should be adhered to, for our part, with the same attitude, with the same approach as how we adhere to chukim. In other words, even when there are reasons behind certain mitzvahs that make sense, that shouldn't be our primary motivation for keeping those mitzvahs. It shouldn't be like, well, there are certain mitzvahs that I can get myself motivated to do them because they're sensible to me. And then there are other mitzvahs where it just doesn't have that appeal, but I can, I can get myself to do it out of devotion to God. We're not supposed to make that distinction. There's a concept that we should approach all mitzvahs with the same approach of we're doing this ultimately because it's God's will. He explains it explicitly. Let's go on. The Indians, uh, this concept, Shagama mitzvah tam, even mitzvahs that do have a reason, we have to do them simply because they are God's will. That is not just from the perspective of the person who is doing it. That he should perform mitzvahs in the manner of a servant serves his master. Which means not to do mitzvahs because they make sense, but rather be do it because the master said so. Okay, so that's what it means that we approach the mitzvah no matter what level of mitzvah it is, whether it has a discernible reason or not. We approach it as if it had no discernible reason. So he says, that's not just from the, from, from the perspective of the one who does it. Because you understand what he's explaining. Like, subjectively speaking, it's a good sort of mind frame to put yourself into. And we call it Avedis Eved. We call it serving Hashem like a servant serves a master. The servant doesn't evaluate um, or, or, or judge which tasks he's been given by the master are are more favorable 
to him from an intellectual standpoint. They, they all, he does them all for the same underlying reason, which is it is his job to serve the master. And that's how we're supposed to feel about Hashem. Okay, but he says that's not the only thing, but rather there's more. Ella, gamitzad hamitzvahs. The mitzvahs themselves have to be, we have to appreciate that in the mitzvahs themselves there is this concept of not being focused on their rationale. Even mitzvahs that do have a reason are still an expression of God's will. And when we, when we say will, we mean will as opposed to wisdom. There's divine will, there's divine wisdom. Divine wisdom is wisdom. It's, it's intellectual. Divine will, what is will? Will is I just want it. I just want it. And if it's divine will, then it's not something that we're going to ever understand. It's not, it's not to be understood. Will is not intellect. Will is not to be understood. Rather, this is all, the reason we do is because this is what Hashem decreed. Except sometimes... Hashem made it that His will also will take on a form that does align with what we could understand. Sometimes that does happen. Okay, so understand what he just said. He said like this. There are different levels of mitzvahs um, and their rationale from our perspective. Mitzvahs that make sense, mitzvahs that make no sense, mitzvahs that make sense after the fact. We said we should approach them all as if they made no sense. Not just because that's the attitude that we should have, which is we call the attitude of a servant, meaning being devoted to the master. Not, oh, I like what you said and therefore I'll do it. No, I'm devoted to you, therefore whatever task you ask, I'm going to do it with equal fervor as any other task you would ask for. <laughs> we said that's not the, the only thing. <coughs> because then, if that were the only thing you could say, well, really the mitzvahs do have different levels of, um, of sensibility to them. It's just that we're supposed to ignore that. Subjectively, for our part, we're supposed to ignore that so that we can be like a servant. He says, yeah, that's true, but there's more to it. It's also the way that we understand mitzvahs themselves, we should understand that even those mitzvahs that have reasons... Um, really, it's just that divine will is investing itself in a form that happens to align with things that we understand. Furthermore, Elishagam Tama Mitzvahs, Kamesha Haim Lamitosim Haim Lamailamav. The real reason for the mitzvahs transcends human intellect. The real reason for the mitzvahs is aligned with some type of divine wisdom that's not knowable. It's fundamentally incomprehensible to a limited being. He ain't soft because Hashem's wisdom is infinite. And not only is Hashem's wisdom infinite, but as we say, 
he and his wisdom are one. His wisdom isn't just an attribute of his. His wisdom is synonymous with him. So just as God is fundamentally unknowable, so is his wisdom fundamentally unknowable. It's not possible that a limited created being, a person is a created being, it's not possible that a limited created being would be able to understand the rationale of the mitzvahs because the rationale of the mitzvahs is infinite wisdom. Like it's written in the Tanya in the section of Igros HaKadosh, or Igeros HaKadosh, Letter 19. The real reason for the mitzvahs is not revealed. And the real reason for the mitzvahs is beyond mortal comprehension. And even in those cases where a rational explanation of a mitzvah has been given and makes sense to us, he that's not the ultimate reason. It's not the real reason. It's a level. It's a level that makes sense to your mind. But you think, oh, now I know why that mitzvah. No, you don't. It's a very low-level, superficial reason, which is precisely why we're able to understand it. The inyan zeh, shahatama muven lano enay and then this concept, this reason, which is not the ultimate reason, that's what, that's what we're understanding. And even a limited mortal mind can understand the concept that a limited mortal mind cannot understand infinite wisdom. <laughs> Basically saying, we understand that we don't understand. That's right. So this concept, the concept that we can't understand, is a concept that we can understand. Even with our limitations, we can understand that. That's not something you have to take on faith. Just take it on faith that our minds can't understand everything. I don't have to take that on faith. I know our minds cannot understand everything. Okay. <coughs> Why bother giving an explanation if it's not the ultimate reason? Well, you're asking, like, why bother giving the explanation? And I'm saying something like, well, hold on a second. Forget about yourself for a second. Some mitzvahs do lend themselves to being understood, or at least on a certain level to being understood by human intellect. So you're going to tell that mitzvah, oh, uh, why, you, why, why do you have an aspect to you that's understandable by a human being? Well, that's just what that mitzvah is. That's just the nature of that mitzvah. You have different mitzvahs. You have 613 of them. Yeah, that, but, but that's what I'm saying. Different mitzvahs are different. That's just like every mitzvah is performed differently. Like the way you carry it out is different. So every mitzvah has a different um, nature as far as its, its, its meaning. In some mitzvahs, its meaning completely eludes human comp uh, comprehension. Other mitzvahs have meaning that overlaps a little bit with human comprehension. Just the way that it is. The Adrab. 
ואדרבה, זה שבאיזו מקיימן נסגלן ונספרש איזה תם המובן לנו הוא פלא גדול. The fact that once in a while there are mitzvahs that have some aspect of rationale that does overlap with human comprehension, that's the miracle. That's the, the wondrous phenomenon. You understand? We're, we're flipping the whole thing. Instead of saying, well, how come there's so much of the mitzvahs that don't make sense? We're saying, no, 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 come at it from the opposite axiom. The assumption should be that no mitzvahs ever make any sense to us. To us. Not that they don't make sense, but they make sense in a way that we can't access. <coughs> the fact that once in a while there's some aspect of some mitzvahs that does lend itself to human comprehension, that is wondrous. I'm not asking what works or doesn't work. <laughs> you're, you're com- No, 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 no. You're coming at it from a perspective like the mitzvahs were created in order to stimulate you. You're acting like some professor wanted to write a really good book that people would enjoy. That's, no, you're saying, well, of course, you can't get up there and give a lecture and have nothing, be, be nothing make sense to your audience. You've got to step away for a second. In fact, if I, could, if I could suggest to you one thing, one of the main concepts in Chassidus and one of the main opportunities when you study in Chassidus is to step away from your human subject, subjectivity for a while and start to think of things in, in, in a scale of the infinite even though we're incapable of grasping it. So instead of looking at mitzvahs and being like well how do mitzvahs fit into my life or not even just my life as, a, as an individual but humanity Just stop a second and say, let's look at mitzvahs on their own. Let's look at what is a mitzvah. A mitzvah is an expression of divine will. Now it happens to be that God has expressed that divine will to his people. So now there is a human element involved. But instead of evaluating the mitzvahs based on our reaction to it, let's just for a second think about mitzvahs As, as, as their own thing, and then sort of as a secondary uh, factor, consider how that, how that interfaces with the human experience. So don't, don't come to me with the assumption, well, of course, it'd have to be, it would be untenable if no mitzvah made any sense at any time to anybody. Well, we're not talking about if it's practical or not. We're just saying the fact that <coughs> mitzvahs are divine will. The fact that once in a while some of that divine will takes a form that a human being could understand once in a while, hmm, that, that itself is a phenomenon to be considered. Like, oh, that's, that's the unusual thing. Yeah? Is this only going to be that, like, when you say, like, oh, you don't eat pig because of it, because of whatever, I don't know. Is right. He's saying that, first of all, the whole thing about not eating pig because of the trichinosis is, is a bunch of hooey. Whatever. Okay. Um, you know, like, kosher's laws are uh, not rational. Right. Okay. Uh, 
but take laws that are rational. Like, if you break somebody's stuff, you got to pay for it. If you, call, if you leave a, a pit in the public road and somebody falls in it, you got to pay for the damage, right? Okay. So what we're saying is that stuff, yeah, it happens to coincide with what a human being might appreciate as being a rational law, but that's not the reason for it. It's, it's, it's almost like a mistake. I don't, it's not really a mistake, but it's like, it's almost incidental. It just happens to coincide with what you might approve of well, as being a law. Yeah, that's a theory too. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a theory as well, yeah. But what are you asking here? My question is, is putting that aside, when you learn when you learn like the Kabbalistic reasons for a mitzvah, yeah, we're saying even that's not it. If you're understanding it, it's not it. It's a glimmer of it, but it's not it. If we're able to give it language and, and perceive of it in some way in our human minds, then by definition, it's not the ultimate reason. Even if we're studying the Kabbalistic explanation behind the mitzvah. Yeah, yeah, but it's not the real reason. Right. Okay, let, let's continue here. I want to I keep pushing ahead. <laughs> it is Hashem's kindness that He allows there to be some overlap where human comprehension can have some understanding of some mitzvahs. And then even after Hashem's kindness has allowed some aspect of some mitzvahs to be comprehensible to us, we should also know that that reason is really very general. It's the general mitzvah, and it's not its particulars. In other words, there are very intricate mechanics of every single mitzvah things that are happening in the spiritual worlds that are really beyond our understanding. The bottom line is, even the mitzvahs of the category of edus and mishpatim are really the same as chokim. Because the rationale behind the mitzvahs is beyond our comprehension. And in fact, it's not just that the rationale is behind, be, beyond our comprehension, meaning its chokhmah is beyond our chokhmah, but even more than that, it is, it's not just chokhmah, it's rotzain. I'm using Hebrew words here. Chochmah is wisdom. Ratzin is will. So it's not just it's a will. It's not just that it's a wisdom that's beyond our wisdom. It is. That's one aspect of it. But it's also that it's ratzin. It's 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 not wisdom. It's will. You can't understand will. You can understand wisdom. Will, even human will, is not to be understood. It's not that it's. It's not that will is irrational. It's that it's supra-rational. It can't be wrong or right. It's just what I want. Wisdom can be wise or foolish. 
A desire can't be wise or foolish, it just is. So what we're saying is, there's the core of the mitzvah that cannot be approached with, with intellect. And, and that is true even of those mitzvahs that have so much rational explanation to them. That's secondary to the mitzvah. That's not the core of the mitzvah. Rotsein, will, which is above wisdom. This is what it means when we say in our prayers, that little history lesson, that the Hellenizers wanted to make us forget, I'm going to use the term, Chuke is that word, supra-rational laws. Ritzeinecha means your will, talking in second person to Hashem. So we're saying, Hashem, those Hellenizers wanted to make us forget the supra-rational laws of your will. Here the Rebbe says, when we say that, we're not saying that they only, the Hellenizers only wanted to get us to drop the chukim. We're saying they wanted us to abandon the choik-like aspect that is present even in the mitzvahs of Edois and Mishpatim. It wasn't just that they were targeting mitzvahs, the observance of mitzvahs, that have no rational explanation. It's that they were opposed to the fact that even those mitzvahs we observe that do have a rational explanation, that was not our main motivation for observing those mitzvahs. That's what the Hellenizers were opposed to. This is the opposite of what we discussed last week. How's it the opposite? Well, not the opposite, but last week we discussed they didn't want us to have any connection. You want to do it just to do it as like a ritual, that's fine. That's the same thing. But not as connection. Right. But what we're saying here is a higher level of that. Do the mitzvahs just because. Right. Now you answered your own question. You objected and said, you're saying the opposite from last week. And then by the time you were finished processing it out loud, it took you 15 seconds, you said it's a higher level. So you went from saying this is the, a contradiction to last week to saying this is exposing a higher level of the same idea from last week. You're correct. This is a higher level. This is a higher level. What does it mean they wanted to take away our connection that we have to Hashem in doing the mitzvahs? They wanted to take away the fact that when we do the mitzvahs, we're not doing them because... The mitzvahs are smart. They appeal to our logic. It's a great way to live. We wanted to do the mitzvahs just because we're in a relationship. And Hashem told us to do the mitzvah. And if it's Hashem's wisdom and ultimately even His will, then I want to do it. And it has nothing to do with whether or not a particular mitzvah happens to also coincide with my sensibilities. So what is the part that they want to take away that? That. They wanted to take away the reason we do it. That's right. It was a, it was a culture war. They wanted to change the narrative. They wanted their success would be if you would stop a Jew on the street in Yerushalayim and ask him to explain his observance of Torah, he would tell you, these are our wonderful traditions that our parents did, and they have so much wisdom to them, and that's why we continue them. And if that's what the average Jew on the street would say, that would have meant the Hellenizers had won. Well, that's why we're learning the Mimer. 
Let's continue. Ki hayavanim bikshu laker chas v'sholom Yisrael es hahergeshola kishu b'mitzvahs. The Hellenizers wanted to uproot from the Jews their divine sensitivity or their sensitivity to the divine that is embodied in the mitzvahs. Do the mitzvahs. Study the mitzvahs. Just don't feel that there's anything deeper to it. Shekola mitzvahs heim chachmasi yisbarach shalomayla masech lanushi laviram mechukei they wanted to take us away from the choik aspect of our mitzvahs. In other words, to take us away from the idea that in mitzvahs there is an underlying basis that is fundamentally beyond comprehension. And they wanted to take away from us this concept that the mitzvahs are Hashem's will. So we have these two words, chukei, ritzei nacha. Chukei, I feel like this is Sesame Street. Chukei means a choik, a supra-rational decree, like <clears throat> don't mix wool and linen, right? Ritzei means your, second person speaking to Hashem, your will, your will as opposed to your wisdom. They weren't targeting particular mitzvahs. They were trying to uproot a particular sensitivity that Jewish people have to all mitzvahs, even those mitzvahs that do happen to coincide with human sensibilities. That was what the war was about. Okay, let's continue. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. Uvezeh Lashon Gemara. Now we understand what the Talmud says. When the Hellenizers entered the sanctuary, you're talking about the inner sanctum of the temple, they defiled all of the oil in the sanctuary. The word is hechel. Hechel means the inner part of the temple. The implication of this language is that when they entered the Hegel, they made a deliberate effort to go out of their way to defile the oil. As a way of defeating the Jews. Okay, what's up with that? Why were they doing that? What was the strategic importance, or what did the Hellenizers perceived to be the strategic importance of going out of their way to ritually defile the oil. What was the point of that? So on a deeper level, and you're going to ask me, were the Hellenizers conscious of this? It doesn't matter if they were conscious of it. Here, here's, what, here's the deeper spiritual dynamics. Hegel, the inner sanctum of the temple, is the sphera or the divine attribute of Bina, understanding, divine understanding. The Shemin and the oil, who Chochmah, is the sphera or the attribute of Chochmah, divine wisdom. Shalamayla Mesechel de Bina, which is higher than Bina. You know about Chochmah and Bina. Chochmah is the father, Bina is the mother, Chochmah is like the tiny little uh, cell that is developed in the womb of the, of the mother and develops into a baby. It's like when you have chokhmah, you have a tiny little idea, 
Bina is how you flesh it out, you expand upon the idea, you turn it into something that's uh, got more dimension to it. So imagine this big space, the Hegel, that's Bina. It's an embodiment of Bina. And this little jar of oil inside that space, that's like the dot of Chochmah inside the space of Bina. And Chochmah is higher than Bina. Bina is more about um, making intellectual connections. That's how it fleshes things out. It makes um, associations. This logically leads to this, or this logically leads to that. Inferences and conclusions. Chochmah, being a little non-dimensional point, Chochmah is more like intuition. Chochmah that, that, that is often compared to a flash of like insight. And, and a flash of insight that doesn't even lend itself to articulation because it's so abstract. So you would put the little dot of Chochmah in the womb of Bina, so to speak, and there she would develop the point so that you would be able to actually bring it out in some type of intellectual way. So the Hellenizers ent- entering the Hegel and defiling the oil is really them entering Bina and within Bina then locating the Chochmah and defiling the Chochmah. And as we mentioned in chapter 2, oil represents the idea of Kodesh. Kodesh means holiness, specifically spelled that way without a vav. That means a, a certain level that's beyond, that's aloof. And that's why the Hellenizers defiled the oil in the inner sanctum. They defiled the Chochmah in the Bina. Bechdei lahofik chas v'sholem es mizimosem to carry out their goal. Lashkichem teresecha lavira mechukei retzeinecha. There's your words again. To make us forget your Torah and to um, remove us from chukei retzeinecha, the supra-rational decrees of your will. This, this act of spiritual vandalism, and again, I don't know if this was their intention. I don't know if they understood what they were doing. Or maybe they had, other, they had another narrative to explain why they were doing it. It's pretty irrelevant what narrative they gave to it. <laughs> the effect would be the same. <coughs> they were coming into the Hegel, the sanctuary, and defiling the oil. It meant that they wanted specifically to cause injury at the level rep- that the oil represents, which is the level of Chochmah, which is the level that transcends Bina. Bina means the mitzvahs have a lot of intelligent insight to offer us, and we can sit as cultured people and discuss that. That's Bina. Chochmah is. Mm, ultimately, it, it transcends that. It's beyond that. Um, well, that would be precisely what the Hellenizers would want to, to eradicate. So, the, the, the operation 
on a physical plane was a, an expression of the spiritual war that was going on in a, in a, on a higher plane. They wanted that our study of Torah and our performance of the mitzvah should be only because of intellect. Only because of intellect. So attacking the oil in the sanctuary was like attacking the chokhmah in the bina. They were specifically attacking the chokhmah, the transcendent, abstract, intuitive aspect of the mitzvahs that that goes way beyond what we can discuss or appreciate on a on an intellectual level it's also <clears throat> it's no mistake that the injury that they sought to cause the harm they sought to cause the the oil was specifically ritual defilement which is itself completely beyond human rationale the laws of ritual purity and impurity have nothing to do with, with hygiene. It's not about physical cleanliness or uncleanliness. The laws of Tuma Vitara are really a logic of their own. If you ever study Tuma Vitara, it's not, it's not something that conforms with our regular way of thinking about thinking about anything. There are no, there are no convenient models, <laughs> pre-existing models in human thought to plug it into. It's just a totally different way of thinking. So that itself is significant, that they wanted to ritually defile it. Because again, that's an attack against that concept that the mitzvahs and the Judaism in general is not just a really smart way to live. And that's what they were attacking. Okay. That was a short chapter. That was five. Okay. Let's do six. Let's do six. Yeah. Didn't the Hellenizers just want to take over the Jewish mind, regardless of what part or where or how? Yeah, but the Jewish people presented a very specific obstacle. You know, they were very good at this. The, the, the Hellenists were very good at conquering nations. And they did it militarily, but they had a specific advantage because of the, the mass appeal of their culture. So it was a combination of brute force and of uh, the sort of cultural seduction of how uh, the art, the, the philosophy, the, the athletics. And so they were doing this in one nation after another. And the Jewish people were like this stubborn holdout. Like what's, what's different about the Jews that they're not succumbing as easily to this, this juggernaut that was militarily and culturally absorbing all the different peoples of the region. So the answer, what makes the Jewish people a problem, or at least if you're a Hellenizer, what makes the Jewish people a problem, is there's something about the Jews and Judaism or our relationship with Hashem that is fundamentally incompatible with the Hellenist agenda. And therefore, they can never fully assimilate us. All right, so this mimer is explaining what precisely that aspect is that's not ever going to be um, 
that's never going to be digested by this, by this, this, um, you got to imagine, you're talking about such a force, such a power. Who were the Hellenizers successful in overtaking that wound up in those disputes? The entire region. I mean, we're talking about the Syrian Greeks, the Egyptian Greeks. All Syrians and Egyptians weren't, weren't chopped liver, and they became Hellenized versions of themselves. The Jews were holdouts. The Jews were, were different. And what we're trying to understand here is precisely what it is that made us different and made us a problem and continues to make us a problem in this world. And uh, it may not be for the reasons that people think that we're a problem. So this is, you know, if, if we're going to be a problem, we should at least understand the nature of it. What is it, what is it about us that's inconvenient? This is, this is explaining it. Okay, let's do chapter, uh, chapter 6. Okay? All right. Okay. V'hine, b'chdei l'natzeach melchamazu. In order to be victorious in this war. Ein maspika v'ede shalpitam v'das. It was not enough that we should serve Hashem in a way that aligns with logic. Remember, the war we were fighting ultimately is a spiritual war. So we were going to be victorious based on our connection to Hashem. And it was not enough that our connection to Hashem should be one that makes sense. Specifically in this case where what was being attacked was our connection to Hashem that is beyond what makes sense, that's precisely what we needed to bring out even more and double down on. And not even divine service that transcends logic, but is connected to logic. <laughs> it's like, it makes sense that it doesn't make sense, right? Or if you want to use the Kabbalistic terms here, he says the level of Chaya. You have nefesh, ruach, neshama. Those are the three levels of the soul that are invested within the body and expressed through it. Nefesh is the vitality of the body, and ruach is the emotional life, and neshama is the intellect. And then you have the makifim, the two um, encompassing aspects of the soul. So you have chaya and yechida. Chaya is like our faith. So faith is above intellect. Chaya transcends uh, intellect. But it's it, it's a it's a transcendent level. But it's the makif hakarav. There's a makif hakarav and a makif harochik, and, and in, uh, a first level encompassing and a second level encompassing. Sometimes it's compared to like clothing and and and, uh, and shelter. Food you put inside of you, that's like intellect. Clothing you put on you, but right on you. Your shelter goes on you, but. You don't need a different size house depending on how much weight you've lost or gained. Clothing, you need to adjust your clothing according to your personal size. But a house is just a house. So that's the makif harachik. So he says, it wouldn't have been enough just to access the makif which is chaya, 
which is a level that transcends logic, but it's connected to logic. In other words, you can meditate on the fact that there is something fundamentally beyond logic, and that logic itself will bring you to the appreciation of that which is beyond logic. It's great, but it's, it wouldn't have been enough in this case. Because things were really bad. They, they had defiled the oil in the sanctuary, which we understand now in chapter 5 what that represents. That means they defiled even things that are at the level of Chachma. They defiled the Chachma. They caused that even Chachma should be tainted. That means the level that's beyond Bina. Bina is the regular intellect. Chachma is almost like pre-intellect intellect, the intuition. And they got that too. So it wouldn't have been enough to try to access that. You're going to have to go higher. That's why the only way to win was through Mesiris Nefesh, self-sacrifice. The Indian Mesiris Nefesh, self-sacrifice means to stand up mightily against all obstacles and all impediments. Toikif atzmi, an inherent strength, which is completely beyond intellect. It's not like I've come to this conclusion logically that I'm going to have to be strong. No, there's a certain inherent innate strength that's just coming out and it's not based on any logic. Just like the self-sacrifice of giving one's life to die as a Jew, which is not based on any rationale. We learned this in Tanya in chapter 18. It's just almost as if there's something that won't let you to do anything different. It's inexplicable. We speak about it in Tanya, the phenomenon, the curious phenomenon of the fact that there are religious martyrs of all religions through history. And yet we find the strange thing that there are Jews who were irreligious. They couldn't be bothered to be observant in their lifetime. And they, for some inexplicable reason, chose to die as Jews when they were forced, when they were put to a test of faith. And there's no rational explanation to that. It's not like they had such an appreciation for Judaism or such religious conviction that they needed to maintain their, their faith. No, it's something inexplicable. It's something that comes <clears throat> from a place far deeper than intellect. So that was the level that we needed to tap into in order to win this war. You understand what we're saying? It's not just like, oh, you're really outnumbered. Um, taking on the Hellenizer's army is going to be basically you're volunteering for self-sacrifice. No, that's not, I mean, yes, but... That's a reductionist way to look at it. That's almost like incidental. The fact that fighting this superpower was basically a kamikaze mission, which happened by fluke to work out, um, that's, that's incidental. What's primary is what was under attack was the Jewish connection to Hashem that is beyond intellect. What needed to be brought out and strengthened in order to win that spiritual war 
the Jewish connection to Hashem, which is beyond intellect. And that happened to manifest itself in one way, <clears throat> by doing something completely irrational, which was being ready to get completely annihilated by a military juggernaut. Even though, from a rational perspective, there was zero chance that this, these military operations would be effective. This comes from the level of Yechida. We were talking before about the level of Chaya, which is transcendent, it's the fourth level, but it's the Makif HaKarev. We needed to go deeper, we needed to go into the Makif HaRochek, the highest level, called Yechida. Yechida is also called Etzam HaNeshama, the, the core, the essence of the soul, the fifth level. The Inyan Hiskashus Atzmis, the fundamental, inherent, intrinsic union or bond that we have with Hashem. It's not based on anything, it just is. And on that level, it's impossible to be any other way. In other words, if your connection to Hashem is based on feelings, okay, well, feelings change. If your connection to Hashem is based on intellect, well, you know, your opinions can change, your understanding of a situation can change. But if the connection is based on the fact that this is just who I am, this is my essence, essence cannot change. And the level of Yechida cannot be defiled. It's not just they didn't defile it, they couldn't defile it. You know how Yom Kippur works, that's why we pray five times on that day, it's the only day of the year we pray five times. Yom Kippur is accessing that fifth level. Nefesh, Ruch, Neshama, Chaya, Yechida, the fifth level, which is the core. The core can never be tainted. No matter what you do, it doesn't change who you are. So you can mess up your doing, and then you have to clean up your doing. You can't mess up your core being. Your core being, by definition, just always is. And that core being is our intrinsic oneness with Hashem. And that's how atonement works on Yom Kippur. When that comes out, all of the doing falls away. Or all of the effects of the doing fall away. So we needed to tap into that level, the core, the Yechidah. Even Chaya was not deep enough. Even going to the, the, the makif of, of, of that corresponds to Chaya, which corresponds to the, to the oil, that had been tainted. That had been tainted. So that wasn't going to help us to win the war. That had already been compromised and co-opted by the, by the enemy. The only thing we had left that the enemy hadn't defiled in us was our completely irrational connection to Hashem. That was all we had left. And that was all that was going to win the war. This core identity where we are always one with God is represented by that little jar of oil that had the Kain Gadol seal on it. The Kain Gadol was the one who would enter the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. And no one was allowed in there, not even the angels. That 
entering, I told you before, Yom Kippur represents the idea of Yechida. Five prayers, fifth level. But also the Kain Gadol entering the Holy of Holies. And no one's allowed to be there, no person, and not even angels are allowed to be there. Represents the intimacy. The one-on-one connection of the Neshama with Hashem. The Kain Gadol is the embodiment of that. So when you have this little jar of oil that has the seal of the Kain Gadol on it, what does it represent? It represents this level of Yechida where I cannot get away from Hashem. No one can tear me away from Hashem. You can compromise and defile my behaviors, my emotions, my intellect. But there's an essence that will remain pristine and untouchable. And in this case, accessing that was the only thing that was going to turn the tide. Only by accessing the level of Yechida was how they were successful in the war. And this, of course, was reflected on a very literal level as far as how the war took place. It was a required self-sacrifice. But you understand, the self-sacrifice that was required by the battle, that was like a reflection of a higher truth that was, was occurring at that time. That through Matisyo and his sons doing this completely crazy thing, ta- taking on this superpower, even though they were the weak and the few, they stood up with self-sacrifice to fight against the mighty and the many. They were the few, they fought the, the, the many. They were the weak, they fought the mighty. That made no sense. Well, that's exactly what we needed. We needed to start channeling that aspect of us that has a relationship with Hashem that makes no sense. It's not built on logic. And this had an effect on the entire generation. Sometimes there are individuals who embody a generation. And when they do something big, it cascades over the entire generation. That's what happened here. And it had an effect on the entire nation. To be ready to die as Jews and to take on the Hellenist army. Not to transgress their religion in any way. And as we explained before, not just to be sticklers that we are going to observe Torah, but we're going to observe it in this supra-rational way, with the intent that it is beyond our intellect. And that's how they won the war. End of chapter 6. Okay. Good for now. You 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 want to talk to uh, customer service? You want to return the product? What what do you what's not working for you? Yeah. Even if it's unmotivating at the source, doesn't connect for me. I don't 
That's why we are learning this discourse. This is forcing you to think in ways that you probably don't normally think. Not because you don't think a lot about God and mitzvahs, but precisely because you have spent a lot of time thinking about God and mitzvahs. This discourse is forcing you to rethink it. To what end? To what end? Why are we doing this? Oh, yeah. Why? This is there to oppose an idea. Because if we want the world to be the way that it was supposed to be and to be the world that it was created to be, we know the Baal Shem Tov told us that that requires that these ideas become mainstream. Hafatzas Hamayonis, spreading out the wellsprings of the Baal Shem Tov's teachings to bring Mashiach. So this weird way of looking at it that even, even religious Jews read this stuff and they're like, this is a little bit weird, this is a little bit beyond. Yeah, and we're going to have to make this mainstream. We're going to have to make this the way that 7 billion people understand, at least to some level, the, way that the model that they use for understanding reality. So if in this room we're struggling with it and we're like, eh, I can't get into this. Well, we're going to have to get into it because we're going to have to make this the way that is the normal way for the world to understand things. Well, I, I, I guess I would challenge you when you're asking me this question, and I would say to you, how are you defining connection? I'm challenging your, your, your axiom for what connection means. Your motivation is either because it's the divine will, or your motivation is because my neighbor will think I'm from. Okay. Those are two different sources of motivation. So doing it for others as opposed to doing it for Hashem. And you're calling connection doing it for Hashem. And I'm saying, even when you're doing it for Hashem, there are levels. There's doing it for Hashem because my emotions motivate me, or my intellect compels me to serve Hashem. And then there's serving Hashem in a way that is so inexplicable even to myself. Like, I'm doing these mitzvahs, to the point of prioritizing it beyond any comfort, any, any personal gain, and I can't adequately tell you why. I just know that this is what I must do. That's a lot deeper than saying that I have an emotional connection to Hashem or even an intellectual appreciation for Hashem and for Torah. What I'm saying is that emotional and intellectual reasons or motives, motives for being Torah observant have been historically compromised by those who would undermine all of Judaism. And not only have they been historically compromised, in our present day, those levels, you see how easy they are to cause confusion, even among strictly observant people and that we need to get back to that which is inherently pristine and incorruptible which is what came out when we're up against the the Hellenizers and it's what we need to tap into every single Hanukkah and probably especially in our day and age where the 
not only emotions, but the thinking of the world around us is so messed up. How are you going to counter that? Forget about countering it. How are you going to survive it and not become part of it? Because you think you're so emotionally healthy and so intellectually robust that you won't be pulled in? That's not how we're going to remain above the fray. It's because of the the yechida, the essential bond with Hashem. And we have to go back to that. You think that you're going to you're, you're going to beat them at their own game, and that when they're going to try to emotionally sway them, you'll emotionally sway them back. They're going to come and try to compel you with logic, and you'll outmaneuver them with logic. That's not how we did it when, when, when we were up against the Assyrian Greeks. How we did it was by tapping into our essential, immutable bond with Hashem that makes no sense. That's what we have to do today. 